comes down to business case, you've got to think of yourself as an entrepreneur or an intrapreneur. You've got to figure out how you validate your ideas being more valuable than doing the other things that the organization could be doing. And you really need to pitch it. And you need to pitch it in a way that, that shows that you've been collaborative, worked with others, and you've grown something that can, that can add this value. Hello, thank you for joining us on the 330 Forecast, where we discuss business agility, innovation, and the future of business. I'm your host, Stephen Voiles. My guest today is Ken Zakavik. Ken is the Director of Innovation at Allsack, where his team helped him to earn the honor of number one company to work for for innovators by Fast Company this year. Ken describes himself as a career corporate entrepreneur, and he's helped companies from large Fortune 100 organizations to small 10-person startups to create and launch industry-disrupting innovative products. On the show today, Ken and I discussed the mission of Allsack and of St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. We talk about how their innovation program has helped them to adapt during the COVID-19 pandemic. We also talk about his own roots and pursuing a career in making new and different things and how he's been able to launch innovation programs throughout that journey. Ken shares some practical tips on getting buy-in from your organization, as well as what it takes to scale new and different ideas. You're not going to want to miss this one. If you enjoy this podcast, be sure to check out the show notes for a link to the transcript and head over to www.the334group.com slash 334cast for more episodes and video from the show. This podcast is a product of the 334 Group. The 334 Group is a business agility consultancy focused on helping clients develop internal capability to drive agility and innovation within their organizations. Head over to www.the334group.com to learn more about our work and how we can help you. Thank you for joining us today. Please enjoy the show. All right, so welcome to the show today, Ken. Thanks for joining us. Um, Thanks for having me. I wanted me. to start, uh, could you talk a little bit about, you know, you're the Director of Innovation at Allsack. Could you talk a little bit about um, what Allsack's mission is and some of the work that you do there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Allsack is the fundraising and awareness organization for St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. And our mission is to raise the funds necessary for St. Jude Children's Research Hospital to run. Um, the role of the innovation team is to help promote a culture of innovation, um, help to inject some innovation into the strategy of, of the work that they do, um, and to research and prototype the use of emerging technology um, to ensure that we're future-proofing the organization so that we can thrive uh, for years to come. Yeah, it's a fantastic organization. I'm, I'm glad to get a chance to kind of not only promote the work that you're doing, but um, the work of All Second St. Jude as well. Um, not that anybody doesn't already know about you guys, but um, it's always great to try to spread the word. Um, well, thank you. So can you tell us a little bit about just you personally? How did you first start really getting interested in this focus on innovation? Yeah, so <clears throat> I think um, I've always sort of been curious about doing the new and different um, I've sort of got this theory that there are folks that are openers, people that can start something. There's um, operators, people that are excellent at just operating things. And then there's optimizers, people that can come in and see what's been done and make it better. Um, and not to say that people can't bleed over those things, 
Um, but I really always put myself into the opener and the optimizer categories. I'm not the best operator. And so because of that, I've always been in positions where I've thought about how we could, how any of the companies I've worked at could be doing something new and different. Um, it could be finding value from those things. And so I started my career early on at a nascent internet business back when dial-up occurred and helped them to explore uh, long-distance calling cards before that was an actual full-fledged business. And that turned itself into creating prepaid debit cards that you could activate at terminals and creating the technology necessary for those types of things to work. Moved into the startup world, helping to build art collection sites, moved to Marvel Entertainment and helped them with their digital comics platform. So that was when apps started to be a thing and okay. nobody was really doing that much stuff. And they said, hey, why don't we put our comic books there? And I got to work on that great project. Um, worked through other companies like Estee Lauder, helping them to bring a user-centric approach to how they do the, their, their internal business operating platforms. Um, through other startups, eventually landed at St. Jude, uh, ALSAC, and worked as a digital product manager, helping them to modernize some of their systems. That's that optimization piece, revolutionizing them to do some more of a location, geolocation-based um, experience and different iterative tests on donation forms and commerce capabilities. Uh, the CEO, during my tenure there, doing that work, the CEO had put out a call to find out if we could be more innovative. 80 people raised their hands. I was one of those 80 people. Um, we were put into four groups. I uh, felt like I was interested in all the groups and because of that was able to be a part of them and understand how they were each trying to address specific areas of innovation from process and education and recognition and reward and figuring out what to do with some of the ideas that were in funnel and really stitch those together. And as part of that pitched out this idea for um, an entrepreneur in residence that would help lead the charge. They granted all of those things. I applied for that role and, and I was the first member of the innovation team here and I've been growing it since. That's awesome. Um, yeah, so I, I think one thing that people are going to want to, uh, that'll be interested in hearing is, you know, a little bit more about that journey. So, you know, I know that you've, you've been a part of similar journeys at a lot of different companies. And so it's both for for-profits and nonprofits. And you've also been in, you know, some startups and some larger companies like Allsack. So can you tell us kind of maybe what are some of the common threads? How do you get support for doing something like what you're doing right now? It's a, it sounds like Allsack kind of put out the call for you guys. Um, but what are the elements that kind of need to be present in an organization for something like this to work and for you guys to have the kind of support you need to, to make it work? Yeah, so I think, I think it's sort of interesting. You need to be able to, um, you need leadership support, right? You're doing something new and different. You're deploying resources differently, even if those resources are your own time. And so you need somebody to say, yes, it's okay for you to do this exploration and do those things that you need to do. And we can get into how do you sell those things up so that leadership can understand it's valuable and worth doing. Um, but the other side of the equation is you need organizational buy-in. And so there's a few different phases of how you would move something through. One, there's the phase where you need to convince people that a focus on innovation is important and differentiated enough from the other work being done that it deserves its own space. Right. Um, I, was just, I just got off the phone 
with another person at another company that works in innovation. They called it the shower test. You need somebody that would think about the business that they're in while they're in the shower. If right. it's a split focus thing, it becomes really difficult to understand where to focus and, and how to apply that energy. And so justifying that you need to have dedicated focus is a whole series of conversations about establishing value and doing the new and different and how that would happen and really thinking through the future of what that looks like. How would it return value? What would you need for it to be successful? And then once you get that buy-in, now you're in that role, how do you define what it is so the rest of the organization can rally behind it and move itself forward? And I call that organizational buy-in. So those are the key factors that I found to be important in every environment I've been in leadership buying into the fact that you need focus on this thing and that it's important. And then you need to be able to deploy that vision in a meaningful way so that others can rally around to support it and know that they're acting in concert to achieve the goals of innovation and what that really means. So, you know, specifically at Allsec, I know how the COVID-19 pandemic has really affected you guys. And I think it's going to it's going to turn out that it's great that they had you, you guys around thinking about different ways to do business because of that. So can you talk a little bit about how uh, the lockdowns and the COVID-19 pandemic has affected you guys and, and the mission of Allsec and how your group was able to help? Yeah. Um, well, I think that the organization's done a phenomenal job of, of adapting to a new and different environment. And there's this, there's this meme I saw um, and it said, what fueled your digital transformation? And it's your CEO. And the next one is your, your CIO or CTO. And then the third one is COVID-19. And I think we, like a lot of companies, had to adapt to the COVID-19 pandemic um, by moving virtual. And I think luckily, and I think this happens in a lot of digital ecosystems, not just innovation ecosystems, but we were working in an agile capacity where we were really fluid with how we utilize technology. And that was our collaborative technology, Zoom primarily. And so shifting to working in that capacity wasn't a huge burden for us. We were able to carry on. We had before. It felt pretty natural. Obviously, there were some nuances that were a little bit weird and figuring out how you still have your community time and you and you joke with each other and you do all of those things, but organizing the work and understanding what we needed to do, that was easy. But such a huge part of how we operate our business is relational. And because of that, we produce a lot of in-person events and those went away. And so the organization did a phenomenal job adapting, moving things into the ecosystems that we had in the tools, Zoom, for example. And we as the innovation team, also thought along those lines, but we had a, we thought of, I think, I'd like to think we thought of it differently, right? Which is, I think you want your innovation team to always think about things a little differently. And we said, look, if we're online now, we know it's not new. We know that museums have been going online over the course of the last few years. We know that um, social gatherings have been going on online for years, right? Minecraft, some massive online. Right. And so we said, okay, Let's forget about reacting. What if we were to design and build a native virtual event? What might that look like? And so we stopped for a little while. I think we stopped for almost six weeks, which I got a little nervous about. But when you think about building a brand new thing from scratch, like a startup, six weeks is actually a really short period of time. And we did a lot of competitive research. We saw what a lot of people were doing to mitigate the risk of lost revenue from online events in the nonprofit, for-profit spaces. 
Um, and we figured out what would we want to do. And we identified a few different plans, one of which we actually just launched. And I can tell you about that if you're interested. The other we're still building. What does a virtual event look like that would engage our supporters in a meaningful way that doesn't rely on in-person events, that has nothing to go back to? It's only ever going to be okay. a future-oriented virtual event. Um, and we got buy-in around it. And we've got some really great ideas based upon other people's great work out in the world. Um, and we're hoping that that comes around in the next few months. So we're pretty excited about that shift. Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, definitely. I, I think we'd love to hear a little bit more about, you know, specifically the process that you guys are going through in order to, to rethink the way that you engage with your donors. Yeah, so I don't, you know, and that's sort of an interesting question, right? I think that we have experts that know how to engage with our audience. And we, like any other organization, have new audiences to address. And I think what we're lucky with is that, um, my, my peer, Zach Whitten, has done a phenomenal job of identifying this audience in our Play Live program. And that's our, our gaming program where okay. gamers support our mission. And I've always felt, and I think he felt, that there was a tremendous amount of room for us in that space for not gamers. And we've done a lot of work with influencers in specific categories, whether it be fashion and makeup or cooking or mom bloggers. But we felt as though there were people that were seeking this online entertainment. And we found this great company called WaveXR. And they started doing virtual reality concerts, live performances, but in okay. virtual reality, sort of like Ready Player One. And my, uh, Matt Ladner, who's on my team, brought this idea up that we should do this. And we joked around and said, you mean like Ready Player One? Ha, ha, ha. And he said, exactly. And that was over a year ago. But we found opportunity in this pandemic to try it. And just last week, we launched this WaveXR performance. Lindsey Sterling, who's a hip-hop violinist who has yeah. a huge digital, digital native audience, um, did a benefit concert for us. And we had phenomenal results. And we used this third-party platform, which was fairly new for us, with an artist that we had not used before, with the intention of not going after or cannibalizing our current audience. Right. We went to it looking to acquire a new audience. I think we acquired 13,000 views. Um, we did a phenomenal job fundraising through that event. Lindsey Sterling did a phenomenal job on it. I can send you the link if you want to put it in the show notes. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, but that was something that we, we attempted because of the pandemic. And I don't think that we would have attempted it ha had we not been faced with the circumstances we're in. Um, so, you know, talking about leading up to that event and some of the other work that you guys have, have done, I know that, you know, what created that environment was the support you've gotten at AllSec. And I know that, you know, recently you guys were named uh, the, the best place to work for innovators in 2020 by Fast Company. So talk a little bit about why you think they selected you and, and what the environment, what, what kind of culture and environment you guys have at AllSec that makes it such a great place for innovators. I think that we were born out of, out of innovation, right? I mean, Danny Thomas, when when he began, um, really wanted to test new and different ways of operating a hospital and sharing information and no, parent, no family ever pays for treatment, right? We're completely, right. Um, well, we're 80% funded by donors, um, hopefully like those that are watching um, and listening to this podcast. Um, and so working new and different, I think has been akin to who this organization is. Testing and learning has been something that we've been promoting and I think what we've helped to do as an innovation team is to help people not only 
come up with a concept, but walk that concept through. Understand what are the opportunity costs of not doing the new and different. Right. And I believe that that's given this organization the opportunity to invest differently. And I believe that that is the crux of the entire um, culture that, that we got this great honor for, right? Being able to present ideas, work with other collaborators in the organization that are experts in their field to understand the blind spots and the opportunities that are in front of you. Understand that you've got to put business behind ideas. Ideas just for ideas sake never are unique enough or special enough to say, yeah, go and do that thing. And so I think that whole culture of come up with a thing, get the validated information you need to prove that it could work, get the people to put it out there, see the results and then grow it. And the willingness of the organization to do that has been a really special thing for the organization. And we've gotten these accolades, I believe, because of the efforts that we've done, the brand new virtual tour that we've recently put out, things like the Play Live program, our accelerator program, which I believe is really unique in the nonprofit organization. We've already done two co cohorts of internal accelerators of new and different idea where people okay. can work differently and have dedicated focus for three months on building something brand new. Um, the emphasis on pivots and exploring new and different audiences for each of our business units. I believe all of that has contributed to our ability to become a beacon for innovators that want to try new things to find that, to find that here. Yeah, I, th I think it sounds like you guys have a great culture and environment there. Um, but I know you've also worked at places where it might be a little bit more challenging. I think, you know, that might resonate a lot more with some of the folks that are watching this. So, um, you know, when you're in those environments where you don't have that support, you know, you talked about the incubator program, being able to start that. Um, what are some of the things that you've seen, you know, help you to be successful in just, in just getting that, um, that type of a program moving in an organization? <clears throat> so. Developing a program like that's not easy. It's got to be based upon results in your ability to deliver and have trust within the, within the organization, not just at the leadership level. I think it comes from grounded business acumen, frankly. And it comes to that concept of an idea is an idea until you put business behind it. And right. so everything that you put out there now becomes a pitch. And if you look at any pitch deck out there in the world, they talk about the, the problem, the opportunity, how you'll solve for it, how, the, how you'll be creating value, not only for the organization, but also for the constituents that are utilizing the product or the process or the tool. And I think you need to be pressing upon that and show that you'll be creating so much value in these processes that, you, that it's worth the investment, at least in the investment of your time and attention. Right. Building innovation outside out of that platform now just becomes duplicating those same things repeatedly to say, we can knock it out of the park repeatedly with the same level of rigor and attention to what it is that we're building and why, to the point where we believe that we should have a platform to do this thing. And then that to me becomes your innovation platform. And with the resources allocated specifically to building that platform and creating mature, robust processes in it, are the fuel that will drive the innovation into the future. Um, I think that we are unique in how we do innovation at ALSEC, I'll say. Okay. Ecosystems that I've seen and I've worked in have an innovative culture lying within HR and strategy being, in a, being a dedicated uh, competency for the businesses 
And then R&D being R&D. And we've really centralized a lot of that into the innovation team. And what we found is we were able to spread those messages out and we're able to have those specific parts of the business, other parts of the business adopt it and own it and grow it and develop it for themselves in their own culture. But those things that span the organization come to us or we come up with a new and novel ways to help those businesses succeed. And that's been the really interesting part of how we've, we've established innovation at the organization. Yeah, that's really cool. So I, I know, you know, there's a lot of parallels there with, you know, agile transformations and digital transformations, right? So you talked about, it can't just be this one group that owns this process. You've got to kind of develop that competency across the organization. That's what really makes it work. So it's exciting to hear that you guys are doing that. So, you know, what's the biggest piece of advice you would give? You know, you talked a little bit about how you create that environment and how you um, provide the proof of concept. Uh, what's some of the biggest advice you could give to people that are, that are trying to muddle their way through? How do I actually show the value in these things? Yeah, so again, I think it comes back down to the business case. It's the same process, but there's two different executions of it. Okay. If you want to do the new and different, it comes down to business case. You've got to think of yourself as an entrepreneur or an intrapreneur. You've got to figure out how you validate your ideas being more valuable than doing the other things that the organization could be doing. And you really need to pitch it. And you need to pitch it in a way that, that shows that you've been collaborative, worked with others, and you've grown something that can, that can add this value um, and how it's going to add value. And you'll, you would pitch it to your leadership as if they were the investors. And you need to have an ask that says, I want this much money and these many people focused on executing this thing so that we can see this value. And there's tons of resources that you could be looking at to do that. In fact, even today, I, I go and I research and the amount of times I've, I've Googled Airbnb pitch deck, right? right. Well, not simple, right? There's a lot of work that went behind it, but that simple presentation, 12 page presentation that sold this business model that disrupted an entire um, industry, hospitality is so meaningful and you need to do that, right? You can't just have an idea and say, it's going to be great because I said it's going to be great. You have to show how it's right. going to be great. The same thing happens if you're trying to build an innovation function. You need to think through how is it going to add differentiated value from the rest of the things that you're doing. You have to show why is it different than me just telling everybody in the organization that they own innovation as a competency they should have. Why is it not going to be a successful without dedicating this team? And that's going to be different for every business and every culture. So depending on how it is, your listeners are going to want to deploy what I call is this pitch-based um, concept, execution pitch thing, whatever. For <laughs> um, right. They're, they're going to have to put the rigor into it. It's not about rolling out of bed and just saying we should do this thing. It won't happen that way. Right. It's going to work behind it to show how it's going to produce significant value. Yeah, I think we see a lot of the same uh, things in digital transformation or agile transformations, right? Where um, sometimes I feel like the people I'm working with know, uh, know so deep down in their hearts that what they're trying to do is the right thing to do, that they have, um, sometimes they struggle to empathize with the people that don't see it as clearly as they do, right? And so it feels like you should just be able to say, um, no, this is the right thing to do. And these things will provide benefits and people, you know, people are going to see that naturally. 
Um, but I, I think you're right. I think one of the things that really holds folks back from being successful at pitching digital transformations or innovation or agile transformations is their ability to, to kind of show the proof points and do the pitch to um, those people in the organization that are going to be skeptical of allocating resources to something like this, right? So what are some of the, um, maybe some of the specific whether it's frameworks or reference points, where do you go? You talked about the Airbnb pitch deck. Um, where have you gone throughout your career to find examples of how to actually take an idea that I have and um, put that into a business case format or a format where I can show that to like the CFO uh, and, and make a case for this thing that I'm trying to do? What are some of those the reference points that you use? Yeah, so I take a really unorthodox approach. Um, and I just, I look what has been successful before internally. So I find other okay. people that have done something sort of new or iterative or, or something like that. And I try to understand how they were able to achieve that, that success internally. I think it's important because it's your internal culture that you're selling it to. Right. And coming in and saying, you know, Google said or Airbnb did won't apply. It won't hit the same levers. And so I think that's a really great insight point for you, for anybody to say, what are these internal levers that I need to push and pull in order to get traction here in the organization? And then it's about finding how to adapt best, best, um, best in class cases back to that to say, right. here's how Airbnb did it. How would I make this resonate with my specific audience internally? I do want to add that there's a lot of different things out in the world that'll be inflection points that you will need to adapt to your culture. For example, I believe in this concept exploration time. We've dubbed it exploration time. Exploration time was stolen from Google as 20% time and the realization that there is no real 20% time. And then the realization that in technology work, it's not formulaic and there's not one plus one equals two. It's a whole bunch of little pieces of information and nobody knows that something should be done in a day. You can hypothesize it should be done in a day and you can plan that it could be done in a day. And I would build in the exploration because the exploration is gonna make everything a lot stronger. And I do wanna circle back, when we were doing innovation, just like any other project that we were gonna pitch out, I didn't just pick up a copy of The Innovator's Dilemma, which, which I recommend that you do. Read The Innovator's Dilemma, it's a great book. Or Ninja Innovation, or Zero to One, um, or any number of these great, great books that tell you how great companies have become greater and how frameworks can be developed and moving it through. But I've contacted a ton of people that were doing innovation in the world. And I've spoken to other companies that have people in the innovation roles that I wanted to be a part of. And I still do that today. And so a mentor network is really helpful too. Okay. So don't have to look outside of yourself. The answers aren't always going to be in front of you or at arm's reach. Use LinkedIn, get out there, talk to people that have done the thing that you want to do. Contact me. I'm happy to help anybody do anything. But it's a matter of finding what your organization finds valuable, translating best-in-class results and, and examples into that language, and then selling it through. And if you get pushed down, find out what pushed you down and do it again and iterate it. Failure is only learnings. Just learn what didn't work and do it again. And I'm not going to put it past anybody. Maybe you just don't have the right idea or the right idea that's going to be successful. And that's okay right i've pitched a ton of ideas that were awful and mistakes and i shouldn't have and i've learned that early sometimes and sometimes <laughs> i've been like yeah do it and it didn't work so 
just remember to keep going, keep doing, and keep adapting, but learn from the feedback you're getting and iterate. One no isn't defeat, it's, it's education. So there's a lot in there. Um, yeah, yeah. Hopefully it's helpful. A lot of good stuff. So I, I like what you said about, you know, adapting things to your culture, because I find, you know, just like what you talked about in creating innovative spaces and agile and digital transformations, um, there's all these frameworks out there that claim to be, you know, uh, this is the way that you do agile at scale, or this is the way that you increase agility in your organization. And the truth is, um, every organization is different. And so those things don't work in every context, but everybody wants to just take this and um, take this method or this framework that's been done before and okay, this is our new playbook. And one that just doesn't work. Um, secondly, every organization thinks that they're a, a, you know, a unique snowflake and they are, you know, there's a lot of truth to that. And so it's really about getting back to first principles thinking and figuring out how to take those things that have worked for other people and how, what does that look like in my context? So I appreciate you saying that. I think that's a big key that, you know, people don't uh, pay enough attention to. Yeah. And it's really interesting. There's this, there's this framework called the red box. It's the Adobe red box. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I saw it and I called Mark Randall who invented it at Adobe. Okay. Um, he spent time with me. It was really awesome. It's a great, great, great framework, but it's not as simple as printing out the documents and right. gathering up people to execute their ideas. What we found, we tried it. There's a lot of work. There's a lot of selling to people in the organization. It impacts to do it right. You, you have to impact almost everybody in the organization yeah. and get buy-in um, for the attention it needs and I'm gonna write it I'm on the cusp of writing an article about it actually um, for, for my medium but um, learning that you can't take this framework print it slap your logo on it and make it work even if you can get the investment for whatever monetary needs the groups will have was a huge learning sure. it was a great program I would endorse it to anybody if they could get it done the right way, but no, you can't print it out and put it into your culture. And have it work. Right. Um, yeah. So that, you know, that kind of made me think of, you know, another phenomenon that I see a lot and I think it's, you know, it's across all these worlds that we've been talking about around different types of transformation or creating innovative uh, spaces in your organization. But I think a lot of this, when you talk about selling these ideas or even running these experiments, I think um, it creates this need for the people who have these great ideas to also at the same time, basically learn how to be the CEO of a startup. Right. Um, and that, that's just my thought. Um, so I'm kind of, I wanted to get your take on that. And I think a lot of people, you know, so first I think that it creates that need for them. And then I think a lot of people that have been working in corporate environments for a lot of their careers uh, struggle to make that adaptation. Um, so I'm wondering what you think about that and if where you've seen that be successful with some people you've worked with and what made them successful. Yes, that's really interesting. So where I've seen where I've seen that be successful is when the organization has a framework that allows for people to grow and the thing that they've built. Um, so that requires a way to invest in the opportunities that exist, right? That, that means that you hit certain milestones, like any VC relationship, and right. you're able to achieve milestones and then get further investment and get further investment. You grow equity in the thing that you're doing, whether that means equity in the respect that you get for being able to build the thing and the knowledge you have in the space, 
for monetary equity, um, I can tell you that within corporate innovation programs, anytime I've spoken to anybody at any other company, and I say, tell me about how you graduate the things that you build. Right. Everybody takes, they all go like this. It's like this <laughs> deep breath because it is hard, right? When you graduate something that hadn't existed before, one, you have to find a place that it fits. And if it fits somewhere, you have to wonder why it wasn't an iterative innovation developed out of that area anyway. Right. You have to measure, okay, well then the business models are similar of the thing that we've built and the thing that we're trying to graduate it into. But the chances are that it's so small and it hasn't produced enough value to overtake the large thing operating now. So if there's a $20 million business that's operating and you've got a new $1 million concept that's got validity, but right. isn't million dollars how are, are you going to pull 20 million dollar resources on the one million dollar thing right gets interesting there so i think there's a bunch of different ways that you can do it one is a graduation model and that is collaborating talking things through making sure that what you're building in a technology capacity is transferable or a commitment to rebuild it in a way that is transferable which adds costs to the whole enchilada um so you have to be thinking about those things or you have to think about how you're gonna scale it. Now, if you're leading an innovation team that's designed to try new and different things, scaling it creates a disruption in your own business model because sure. who's gonna focus on it if they're chartered against building new things? And so then that goes back to this different, differentiated model of how do you implant a lead over a nascent business and then have that business grow? That's something that we're starting to explore now and I think the best case that we've got now is within that play live example where Zach Witten, um, who founded the program was given technology to build and deploy the things that he felt would be most valuable for his business. And they're killing it. They're doing this amazing job. So we've got a prototype of how okay. we see this emerging business exists. And it's like more of a venture model, I think. Um, but now how do you scale that into other things? And what's the lever, what's, what's the tipping point? When does it become uh, uniquely identifiable as its own thing? And why does it become that thing? So I don't think we've cracked that, that nut, but okay. I do think that the roots of this are in the venture model and you've got to play it in a way that shows that it's not cannibalizing other parts of the business and that it deserves the differentiated investment. Yeah. I love everything that you said there. I, I love the idea of taking that venture capital model and um, trying to create organizations where our executive or strategic leaders are, you know, less directive operational leaders and more venture capitalists that allow those other ideas to emerge in the organization and, and decide where investments go based on proof points. Um, I, I think there's a ton of just, absolute fantastic value to, to be dug up there at some point in your career you know you decided you wanted to try to convince the organization that you were in to do things differently and you weren't you know you weren't happy with the way things were and just letting them be that way um, what was that do you remember like that trigger moment or that inflection point that caused you to to want to pursue this path I think it goes back to that beginning I said in the beginning I think there's openers operators and optimizers mm -hmm. and you know, even throughout my career, I've always had some ideas. Hey, we should do this thing. We should do that thing. And I've gotten pushback from a ton of people. And that's just made me try harder to prove that we should do it. Right. And here's why. And here's the value we could create. And that got me into this whole create a business case and do a pitch and treat it like they're investing instead of 
that they should just let you because so I'm going somewhere with this. Okay. I've built things before at organizations and I build it and I iterate it and I've changed it and I've made it better. And I always got to this point where it just worked and I was working on it for like a year or whatever. And I wasn't thinking anything new anymore because that, that was my life, right? That was right. The environment I knew at that point. And I, I wasn't really getting a lot of different influences. It was like, that was my world. And because of that, I got bored and I'm not an operator, right? I'm not somebody that can operate a thing for years and years and years and years. I got bored and I said, this doesn't work for me because I need to have a natural handoff point that I can step away, think about something different. And then if it's working that we thought or that should be working differently or any number of those things, I can come back and I can optimize it again because I've got fresh right. But I can't just stick in it for years. And I admire people that can. Man, they're, they're rock stars, but I can't. Yeah. And, and so I think that's really where it was born out of to say, how can I do repeated hits or repeated value increases by doing the different thing and get people to invest in me doing different things? And I've been lucky enough that I've been able to do that. I, you know, even since the start of my career working in telecom and calling cards and how do we change that to point of sale and did that for a while. And then I said, no, I don't want to do that. And I went to Unix administration and then went back. I mean, okay. I have always needed to step out and step back in or step out and learn from the experiences that I had in both and do the new thing. So that's been my journey. It's been that I'm not really great as an op- operator. I think I'm, I'm okay. I'm not toxic, but I'm not great. And I've known that I've always wanted to try and do different things because of, because of the boredom aspect. Well, I'm glad you are because I, I know that, you know, we're all better for it. St. Jude and all sex certainly are. Um, so I'm glad you had that moment of realization and, and pursued the path that you did. Um, so thanks for sharing all this with us. I know, you know, I want to keep you too long, but um, where can people find you? You talked about your medium. Um, you talked about uh, people being able to reach out to you. What's the best place to do that? How should people get in touch? Yeah, so <clears throat> I think the best place uh, for now is LinkedIn. I've been publishing all the stuff I write on Medium into LinkedIn. I've got some videos out there. Um, just little quick things to how to stay innovative when you can't talk to the person next to you if you're working from home or whatever. So right. it's in the primary spot. I'm also trying to build up Ken, com. So that website um, that, that is not great now, but hopefully we'll be getting better and better over time is another great way. Um, so I'd say those two ways are the best. Fantastic. All right. And we'll put links to that in the show notes. Um, and to some of the other things that you talked about as well, so people can find it easily. Uh, thanks for coming on the show today. I think there's tons of great stuff in here and, uh, people are going to really enjoy it. So thanks for taking the time to do it. Thanks for having me. I loved being on the show.